as we were doing the announcements, it just occurred to me that we, we are a fun church, you know, that here we are this week. What's this week all about? Well, we're going to do cake decorating. We're going to have a game night. We're going to have a party. Last Friday night, we had Elf. It was movie night. It's like, you know, what do we do here? And we are a fun church. Um, so I guess I'll have to get away from the fun here for a few minutes, and we're going to be looking at Acts uh, chapter 27. Um, according to an article in the Boston Globe, instant gratification is making us perpetually impatient. The article states... Uh, quote, our demand for instant results is seeping into every corner of our lives. And I'm going to read an excerpt here from the uh, article. And here's what the article says. apps eliminate the wait for a cab, a date, or a table at a hot restaurant. Movies and TV shows begin streaming in seconds. But experts caution instant gratification comes at a price. It's making us less patient article continues, we've come to expect things so quickly that researchers found people can't wait more than a few seconds for a video to load. One researcher examined the viewing habits of 6.7 million internet users. They probably did this in their spare time. Um, How long were subjects willing to be patient? Two seconds. After that, they started abandoning the site. After five seconds, the abandonment rate is 25%. When you get to 10 seconds, half are gone. The results offer a glimpse into the future. As internet speeds increase, people will be even less willing to wait for the cute puppy video. The researchers who spent years to conduct studies on patients. So how are you at... Waiting. Waiting for your kids to get ready for school. Waiting for your friend to return a text. Waiting for your wife to get ready. Or waiting for your husband to come home. Or waiting for the commercials to be over. How are you at waiting? The Bible says, wait on the Lord. Again, I will say, wait on the Lord. You'll remember the Apostle Paul waited for two years as the Roman prisoner in Caesarea where he had appeared before the Roman governor Felix. Remember that? Later, he appeared before the Roman governor Festus. Finally, he appeared before King Agrippa. Each time, he had an opportunity as a witness to tell people who got on a cruise on the Mediterranean So I invite you to Acts 27. Uh, We're going to look at the whole chapter this morning. Now, oftentimes in December, I do a Christmas series. And uh, today I'm just going to do Acts 27. And next week we're going to do Acts 28. And we're going to land the plane and finish the book of Acts before Christmas. We're going to have a Christmas message on December 24th. So bear with me, Acts 27. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, verse 1, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius who belonged to the imperial regiment. We boarded a ship from Adramidium about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia. 
and we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. Now, one of the amazing things about Acts 27, this is the most detailed account of any ancient travel on the Mediterranean. The, the next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so that they might provide for his needs. From there we put out to sea again and passed to the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. When we had sailed across the open sea of, off the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off Snidus. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the Lee of Crete, opposite of Salmoni. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens, which probably wasn't so fair, near the town of Lycia. So we're off. The journey begins, the first leg, verses 1 through 12. The decision, uh, verse 1, when it was decided that we would sail to the right lower corner, you can see uh, the map. He's been in Caesarea for uh, two years, incarcerated. And so he's going to take out, and by the way, the, the goal is to get to Rome. He's going to go to Italy. Remember, he's made an appeal to Caesar, and to Caesar he will go. He's a Roman citizen. Um, because he's a Roman citizen, he has uh, rights and benefits and privileges, and he has a right to have his trial heard uh, in Rome before the emperor. And so uh, the plan is to get Paul there. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius. So uh, Paul is turned over to Julius. He's a centurion. He, has, he, could, he oversees 100 soldiers. And he's from a special unit, uh, an imperial ship from uh, Adramidium, about to sail for Caesarea along the coast of the province of Asia. So um, out of Caesarea... They're going to, um, let's stay, can we go back to the map? Um, I think we have another map coming. Yeah, that's what we want. Um, so they're going to Sidon, and now they're going to uh, sail to Myra, okay? And um, what, when you think about uh, uh, sailing on the Mediterranean, between uh, September 15th and November 15th, it's very treacherous. Winter is coming. After November 15th, they basically don't sail. Now, that's just general dates. But this is uh, a difficult time to travel. It's really easy to come from the west to the east. So if it was Rome to Caesarea to go to Italy, so there's going to be a lot of zigzagging. Uh, it's going to be a difficult course. It's got, it looks like it's not going to make sense on how they travel. You know, why didn't he just take out to Caesarea, sail right to Rome? Can't do it. So, um, Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. Now, Aristarchus was with Paul in Acts 19, and he was with Paul in Acts 20. Now he joins Paul 
He joined Paul at, at Caesarea, and he's going to be with Paul throughout. He's going to go to Rome, and uh, he's going to be with Paul in Rome. Now, I left out one little important detail in, back in verse 1. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, what do you notice? We means Luke is back. We haven't seen Luke for a few chapters. Luke is now with Paul, and Luke is on the ship, and that's why we see every detail in living color without the color. Julius in kindness, so he let up. He lets Paul hang out with his friends in Sidon. And um, I'm guessing that Julius, you know, he has a high view of Paul already. He's, he's probably uh, been updated from the uh, commander at Caesarea. The Romans like Paul. The, the guys who've had conversations with Paul and have watched Paul's life, um, they have a high view of Paul. And so uh, he, he lets Paul go see his friends. But, but there's going to be Roman soldiers accompanying uh, Paul, but he's going to be allowed this freedom. Uh, verse 4, from there we put out to sea again. We passed the Lee of Cyprus. The Lee means the shelter. It means the side of the island where the wind isn't strong. It's protected there. That's what the Lee side is. And um, I just learned this as I studied the Bible. I don't know anything about uh, sea travel. Uh, but so... Um, on the Lee of Cyprus, because the winds were against us. When we had sailed across the open sea off of Cilicia, we've gone from Caesarea to Sidon. We've gone north. We've turned with the winds. And we've gone to Myra. So let's just keep the map there. And um, the centurion found an Alexandrian ship. So Alexandria is in Egypt. It's North Africa. And uh, we don't have that, but that would be uh, down toward the bottom right. And so they had to change ships. The ship that Paul would have taken north was a smaller vessel. This is a large vessel. It's a cargo ship, maybe a grain ship, and uh, very large and worthy of crossing the Mediterranean. And it's headed for Italy, so uh, that's why Paul is on it. Verses 9 and 10, the warning, much time had been lost and the sailing had already become dangerous. This is slow. It takes many days. It's with difficulty. They, they arrive at Snidus. That's on the map. That's the next place. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the Lee of Crete, opposite of Salmoni. So they're going to go back south. Can we go back to the So, they're, okay, where you see Fair Havens, that's where they're going to end up. That's where the island of Crete is. Um, verse 8, we moved along the coast with difficulty. And that's what I want you to see. Difficulty they're facing. And they came to a place called Fair Havens near the town of Lassie. So, there's a warning, verses 9 and 10, much time had been lost. So it's getting later in the season. The, the sea is going to get more treacherous as time goes on. And the sailing had already become dangerous because now it was a day, it was after the day of atonement. And men, I now can see that our voyage, is, Paul is a prisoner, by the way. And he's going to speak to the leadership of this 
craft and uh, the crew. I, man, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to the ship and cargo and to our own lives also. He's not a, Paul is not a seaman, but he is an experienced traveler. And he has an estimation that further travel is going to be quite hazardous and there's going to be great loss. And um, we don't know if, if this is just Paul's best sense of the situation or whether he's had some kind of leading from God, but this is, this is what he shares with the group. The choice, verses 11 and 12, but the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. So the pilot is the ship's captain. Both the ship's captain and the owner of the ship are aboard. And the centurion is uh, representing the Roman Empire. They have a different opinion than Paul. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter, it the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix about 40 miles away and winter there. Better place to winter. They're not going to make it to Rome. They're not going to make it all the way. They're going to have to stop. They're going to have to hang out for a whole winter. So they want to find the best place where that could be. And so they think it's going to be Phoenix. This was a harbor in Crete facing both the southwest and the northwest. And do we have a map for that? Okay, so... They've been in Fairhavens. That's the island of Crete. Now they're going to go uh, west and north to get to Phoenix, about 40 miles away. They're not going to make it. They're not going to make it to Phoenix. The journey continues, verses 13 through 26, when they face the storm. And again, the detail is amazing. Verse 13 began to before the storm, when a gentle south wind began to blow. So um, they're on the south side of Crete. And a south wind, that means the wind from the south begins to blow. That, it's gentle and uh, it's, it's easy travel. And it's going to gradually take them north so they can go around the island up to Phoenix. The gentle south wind began to blow. They saw their opportunity, so they weighed anchor, and they sailed along the shore of Crete. But the storm happens in verses 14 through 20. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. Let's have a map for that. So they're trying to get to Phoenix. And now a wind of... They had a southerly breeze. It come out of the south, moving them north. But now a nor'easter from the northeast. Hurricane force. Uh, the word is typhonic. It's a typhoon force wind against the ship. Um, the ship was caught by the storm and it could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. So instead of... Uh, making progress, they can't even handle it. They, they can't sail. They can't tack anymore. That's how you move against the wind. They just have to turn and go with it. They, they direct the ship right with the wind. Uh, if the wind broadsides them, they're liable to tip over. They're liable to sink. They're liable to take on way too much water. 
Verse 16, we passed the lee, the shelter of a small island called Cauda. We were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it aboard. So their lifeboat, a dinghy, came on so much water in the storm, them, and they pulled it. But because they would get it aboard and empty it. Now they passed. Now look at this. This is how serious it was. So the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship to hold it together. This is a wooden ship. The storm is so strong that they fear the boat is going to break up. And so they tie ropes around it. You know how you, people put belts around suitcases back in the day to hold them together? Well, this is what they did with the ship. They tied ropes around it to hold it together so it wouldn't break up in the storm. Because they were afraid that they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis. Okay, bottom left. You see where it says Sirtis Major? There's also further left, Sirtis Minor. It's the part of the Mediterranean Sea. It's off of North Africa. It looks like it's dangerous because of the sandbars. It's really easy for a ship to come in. It looks like the easy port, and they run right on a sandbar. So they know it's dangerous. You see how far they're getting from Fair Havens where they left? They're in a storm. They have no control what's happening uh, to, to them at this point. Because they were afraid they ran, they, to run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be dri- driven along. So the, the purpose of lowering the anchor is to slow the ship down. They're not trying to stop the ship. They just want the, the, the weight out there to, to kind of give a little bit of control to the ship, slowing it down. Verse 18, we took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. This is serious. I mean, this is a cargo ship. That's why it exists. They want to carry grain from Egypt, Alexandrian ship, to Rome. This is important to Rome. It's, it's where they, it, it feeds Rome. And now they're throwing it overboard. Why? Because they want to lighten the load. They don't want the ship to sit in the water so deep. Whenever you're starting to lighten the load, the ship goes up higher. And number one, uh, you don't take on as much water with the waves. Number two, if you do run aground, you've got a chance of going further. The deeper you are, the faster you run aground on the sandbars. Verse 18, we took such a violent battering from the storm the next day, we began to throw the cargo overboard. Verse 19, on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. It's like unbelievable. The ship's tackle, that's... Uh, um, the rigging puts the sails together. Uh, the pulleys, the metal pulleys, they would have been a little bit heavy. Some ropes. Uh, a lot of things they just threw overboard. They're trying to lighten the load. So there's no verse 20. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Okay. They're out in a storm, many days. It's the storm, uh, there's no sunshine in the daytime. You're probably very difficult to see. There's no stars at night. How, do you, how does the ship travel? How does the ship know where it is? It's by the sun and the stars, the direction, 
and they locate themselves on a map, they have no clue where they are. And that there's no way out of this. And they've just given up hope. They've lost hope. That's pretty dangerous, isn't it? Paul is discouraged, too. They gave up all hope of being saved. They're desperate. Life and death. And then, verse 21 through 26, we see that these were... uh, And after they had gone a long time without food. You know, these were uh, seasoned sailors. And yet, probably seasick, nausea, under stress, worried for their life, just trying to survive. They're not eating. It means they're going to get really weak over time. After they'd gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them. Men, you should have taken my advice. I told you so. Usually not a good idea to tell people you told them so. You should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. We could have been in Fairhaven right now. Life would be good compared to this. Verse 22. Now Paul steps forward boldly with leadership and direction in the midst of this desperate crisis. He says, but now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. One of you will be lost. Here's a promise. Not one of you, the ship will be lost. You can't count on the ship. There's going to be a great loss. The ship's going to be destroyed. Verse 23. Last night, Paul says, an angel of God to whom I belong. And so... Paul is just going to speak boldly about his relationship with God in front of all of these people. An angel... You ever get tempted not to speak up for your relationship with God? Last night, an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. So God sent an angel to Paul in this crisis. Do not be afraid, Paul. Whenever angels show up, they always say, don't be afraid. And it's always a pretty serious situation. Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. Remember that, Paul? Acts 23. God said, you're going to go to Rome. God is going to follow through with that. That's what God, and God has designed, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you by God's grace. He's got, it's not because they deserve this, But because they're with you and because I want to show myself strong, Paul, you're going to go to Rome and all these lives are going to be saved. Saved from drowning. There's going to be no death on this cruise. Verse 25. So keep your courage, men. This is what Paul says. I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. So Paul expresses... His confidence in the God he serves. He's, you know, Paul has been walking with God for some time, and God has just come through over and over and over. You know, Paul trusts God. Paul believes what God says. Paul understands what it means to live by faith. And it's God who is in charge of the ship. It is God who is overseeing the circumstances. 
It is God who has made a promise. Everyone is going to be safe, but the ship will be destroyed. It occurred to me that, you know, there's a promise that we have. If you know Jesus Christ, the Bible says you will be saved without loss. Without, no one is going to be lost if they believe in Jesus Christ. No one is going to be lost to eternal damnation. However, there could be a shipwreck along the way. And that's one of the things I love about the book of Acts. It's just so real. It, it doesn't uh, try to paint Christianity as this pie in the sky and life is good and everybody's going to be happy and God is always going to give you what you want. He, he, but somehow we Christians think that that's what God should do. You know, that he, he, I'm entitled to good things. And Paul was entitled to good things if anybody was, but yet... Paul is living through this. He's been in prison. He's a prisoner right now. He's on this ship. I wouldn't want to be on the ship. I wouldn't want to face the shipwreck, and I wouldn't want to go to Rome to be on trial before Caesar. There's no guarantee for us that our ships won't get wrecked. There's no guarantee that we will not have to endure hardship along the way. And you're probably going to face some tragic storms in your own life as you go. And question I have, is it okay with you? God is in charge, and you're going to go through some storms. And he has some promises that are absolutely true every time. But there are no promises that you be with us in struggles and storms. He promised to be with us all the way to the end. He promised to provide what we need, not what we want. The, ver- the journey is interrupted, verses 27 through 44. The situation, verse 27, on the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea, 14 days out of Fairhaven, in a storm the whole time. The Adriatic Sea, um, let's look at the map. So, see the Adriatic Sea up north, on the left side, up top left. Um, that's what's normally considered the Adriatic Sea. In the ancient world, the Adriatic Sea went all the way at times in literature down to the coast of Africa. So in the first century, it had a much broader view of what was meant by the Adriatic Sea. Um, sailors, I don't know what it was that they heard or experienced or saw did they hear did they hear the waves on the beach somewhere i don't know how far out you have to be to hear that but luke gives this amazing detail verse 28 they took soundings and found the water was 120 feet deep what are soundings well they would throw a weight it also had measurements on it like for us just think in terms of like every 10 feet there was a marker on it but they threw this rope with the weight overboard. And then when it, it seemed like it touched the bottom, they pulled it back and they could tell about how deep the water was. And they did this as they approached land. When it got more shallow, 120 feet. A short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. Well, that's, we're moving. This is becoming more shallow pretty fast. 
fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. I don't know who they prayed to, but they, they wanted daylight. They hoped they could see land. They wanted, to, they wanted, they wanted the ship to be dropped. 30 through 32, we see an escape attempt. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Not real logical, but they are pretending, and they, what they want to do is lower uh, the lifeboat, and they, they're going to they're leave the rest. They're going to let the others handle it by themselves. But the trick was, they let the life. Uh, they were pretending to lower some anchors from the from the bow. That is the front, and uh, a worthy seaman would know you're not going to lower anchors on the front because it'll turn the ship broadside uh, which would be a great catastrophe Paul figures this out verse 31 then Paul said to the centurion soldiers unless these men stay with the ship you cannot be saved and so Paul God God's plan is all these men are going to be saved with Paul they leave Paul not going to happen and so Paul speaks. And apparently the centur- uh, then Paul said to the centurion, and so the centurion jumps in, verse 32, so the soldiers cut the ropes, then held the lifeboat and let it drift away. Now that could be a problem too. The sailors were trying to escape. They wanted to let the lifeboat down. Now the soldiers come in, the Romans, and they cut the ropes. So now they've lost the lifeboat. Maybe not so good. They still could have used the lifeboat, but now it's gone. The last meal, verses 33 through 38. Just before dawn, Paul urged them to all to eat. And he says, for the last 14 days, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. This has been stressful. It's been exhausting. People have been sick. They've lost their appetite. They are discouraged They're weak without hope. Verse 34, now I urge you, take some food. You need to survive. This is really practical. Paul, this is just practical leadership. What do you do in this situation? Well, guys, we've got to eat something. And it's like, who's going to say this? And Paul steps in and provides some leadership. Take some food. You need to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. And Paul offers that encouragement. Now, they don't know what Paul knows what he's talking about or not. But because of his leadership right here, it just encourages them. They, 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 uh, they're going to they're gonna take some food. And Paul makes this promise, not, you will not lose a single hair. Well, that's a, that's a Hebrew idiom. It means God is going to protect you. Now, I don't know if they lost hair when they went in. Maybe they did. The idea is it's a... It's an idiom. It means God is going to take care of them. He's going to keep them safe. After he said this, verse 35, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of, in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. So Paul leads by example. This is a crisis. He is not a Roman. Nor is he from Alexandria. He's a Jewish man from Tarsus. And he speaks into this situation and now he, he, give, he prays in front of the whole group for the food. 
And he acknowledges God is the one who cares for him. God is the one who provides his food. And Paul is thankful. He broke it and he began to eat. This is not a communion meal. This is just bare essentials. And he just eats in front of them. So what do the rest of them do? Okay. Where's the food? When they had eaten as much as... Altogether, there were 276 on board. This is a cargo ship. 276, that's a lot of men. That's a big ship. Josephus, first century historian, says there was a ship that sank the Mediterranean that had six going vessels. It's just no big deal. It's, it's, an, it's a seagoing vessel. Verse 38. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. So now they throw the last thing, the grain that they're taking to Rome for food. What are they doing? They're lightening their load. They're raising. Uh, the ship is going to sit higher. They're going to take on less water and they have a better chance of crossing sandbars. Landing plan. Verse 39 through 41. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach. That must have been encouraging that they saw something. A sandy beach. What if it had been rocks? They, they, they found a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. So they come up with a plan. We're going to crash land here, folks. We're going to run this baby in best we can, and then we're going to try to make it to the shore. Verse 40, cutting loose the anchors. This is amazing detail from Luke. They had four anchors. They've been dragging, trying to slow this thing down. Now they're going to cut them loose. They left them in the sea at the same tide. They untied the ropes that held the rudders. There are two rudders on a ship like this. They were tied together just to keep it going in one direction. They wanted it to go with the storm, not against the storm. So the storm would just take the ship wherever. Now they're going to cut them loose because the men are going to take, the steersman is going to take charge and it's going to direct the ship into the land. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea at the same time, untied the ropes that held the rudders, then they hoisted the foresail, little small sail in the front. It's going to just help them a little bit. And made for the beach. Verse 41, but the ship struck a sandbar, they expected that, and ran aground. The bow, the front, stuck fast. That would have been a powerful jolt, jolt when they hit that. A large vessel just crashing in. And the the bow stuck fast and would not move. And the stern, the backside, was broken into pieces at the pounding of the surf. The waves just kept pounding that thing. And the thing just is going to break up right in front of their eyes. They better abandon ship. The execution plan, verse 42. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. So now the Roman soldiers who've been in charge of the prisoners. Paul wasn't the only prisoner. We don't know about who those prisoners were. But the Roman soldiers. The problem is, if you're a Roman soldier and you're in charge of prisoners, if they escape, you could face their penalties, whatever their penalties were. If these prisoners are going to Rome, there's likely that a good number of these prisoners face the death penalty. So... How you handle that made good sense to them. If we, if we uh, crash here, and it's possible that uh, prisoners could escape. 
but God's plan, verses 43 through 44. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life. So did God, and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who would swim to jump overboard first and then get to the land. Um, verse 44, the rest were to get there, get there on planks or other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely, just like God said would happen. Some of the people could swim, the, the seamen. Some of the people couldn't swim, maybe some of the prisoners, maybe some of the soldiers. But they were ordered to find a plank and you get there. And everyone reached safely. Let's see the map. Okay, started at Caesarea, all the way across the Mediterranean. After Fairhavens, they got in this huge storm. They drifted down and they feared going into Sirtis. They've been lost at sea 14 days. And look where they end up. Malta. We, we don't know where they ended up until next week. But this is where they crash landed. That's quite a journey. So, how about some lessons here? First lesson. God sometimes puts us in a great period of waiting as he works out his purposes. God sometimes puts us in a period of waiting. So, I've said this many times. Paul was arrested in Jerusalem. Remember that? At the temple. Antonio. And more riot. He appeared before the Sanhedrin. He was whisked away to Caesarea, 70 miles away, by 470 Roman troops. He was incarcerated two years in Philippi, uh, excuse me, in uh, Caesarea. Then he was put on a ship to Sidon, to Myra. He changed ships. Then he went to Crete and anchored in Fairhaven, then on to Phoenix. But the storm came up for 14 days and all hell broke loose and they all thought they were going to die. But they finally landed on the island of Malta. Paul is still a prisoner. It's good that he's alive, but he's still a prisoner. He's still waiting. I like Psalm 27, 14 as a reminder. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. That's about a thousand years before the birth of Christ. I think it's exactly what Paul would say. Wait. Trust God. It's his timing. Wait for him. Don't rush ahead of him. Don't get in a hurry. Can you wait for him? And good question is, is why not? And what will you accomplish if you don't wait for his timing? Second lesson, trusting God's leadership in your life will enable you to accomplish his will. Trusting God's leadership. Pretty simple. Paul's surrounding were hopeless on many occasions in his life, not just in Acts 27. Here he was 14 days in the storm that looked like the end, yet God promised that all would be saved. The trials didn't get removed. The difficulty did not go away. 
But God answered. God took care of Paul. Paul trusted God's leadership. The question for us is, can we trust God leading us in life? Probably related to waiting too. Hebrews 11.6 reminds us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's an essential part of the Christian life. It's impossible. You do your own thing. You're on your own. You're, without, you're walking without God. He's not your resource. When you live by faith, he's your resource because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. A lot of people think and believe that he exists, but he also rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, sometimes Christians say, well, I don't care about the rewards. It doesn't make any difference. When God gives us instructions, he gives us instructions so that we follow whether we want rewards or not. And following is living by faith. Um, choosing, um, living by faith, taking God at his word. For example, choosing a path of moral purity, whether you're married or single, is living by faith. God, um, giving generously to God is living by faith, whether you have much or whether you have little. Giving generously. Uh, telling the truth instead of being deceitful is living by faith. Whether you're a grandparent or a child, telling the truth, truth-telling. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him and He will make your paths straight. He will provide direction. He will get you where He wants you to be. Trusting God's leadership in your life will enable you to accomplish His will. Living by faith is not going to take away life's problems. Living by faith is going to help you in a powerful way through those problems and difficulty, and it honors God in a powerful way. Very last lesson, number three, God will see us through the storms in our life. Acts 27 is one great storm in detail. God wanted us to see this storm in detail. And God is always going to take us through the storms just like he did Paul. To the end. And the end is going to be the new Jerusalem. The end is going to be heaven. God can see us through a financial crisis. He can see us through the devastation of divorce. He can see us through a health crisis. He can help us pick up the pieces when someone we love dies. And God will see us through the pain that life brings. Psalm 107 is about how God delivers his people out of difficult situations. There's one passage in 107 that's quite appropriate. 107 verse 34. Do we have 107? I see we do not. Okay. I'm going to read Psalm 107, and you can turn there if you like. Psalm 107, um, verse 31. And the psalmist writes, a thousand years before Jesus, 
This is about God's people. Let them give thanks to the Lord. Uh, make sure I'm on the right. Uh, picking up at verse 24. Excuse me, verse 24. They saw the works of the Lord. God's people saw the works of the Lord in his wonderful deeds in the deep, meaning in the sea, meaning in the ocean, meaning uh, they recognized the beauty of God's creation and how great God is through what they saw in the ocean. Verse 25, For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. God caused sounded up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They were thrown all over the place in this storm in their life. And their courage melted away. They were discouraged. They reached the end of themselves. Verse 27, They reeled and staggered like drunken men. And they were at their wit's end. You ever been at your wit's end? They cried out to the Lord in their trouble. Finally. And he brought them out of their distress. He brought them out. He didn't remove all of the problems. He even brought some of the problems on them. Verse 29, he stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. Verse 30, they, God's people, were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing place and his worship. Thanking God, recognizing God's place and his wonderful deeds for men. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love. God loves you without fail. And he never will fail. Let them give thanks. That's an appropriate response for us, is to worship. We can count on God, no matter what the storms. The storms are real. But God, God's deliverance is just as real as well. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the story of the Apostle Paul in Psalm, uh, Acts 27. When all this detail was given about what happened and the difficulty and where everybody wanted to go. And it just seemed to get more difficult and more difficult. And finally, tragedy came. And yet, you preserved life. Not without great loss, but you preserved the lives. God, I thank you for the story. May we be encouraged about you. May we be encouraged by your provision for us, your plans for our future. The promise that if we know Jesus, we will be saved from the penalty of sin. That none will be lost. And yet we recognize that there are many difficult situations that we face. Some here have, have had to navigate through some really difficult health situations. Uh, sometimes we might be involved in an accident that uh, has long-term effects. Sometimes uh, there can be a huge business loss. Sometimes it's a death of a family member. Sometimes we have to struggle with other believers, chips in our family. And sometimes we just struggle to be kinder. People that we expect 
to be kinder or more loving or more thoughtful. Father, I pray that uh, we would cast ourselves on you, cast our care on you. Help us to appreciate who you are, what you have done. Help us to live in a way that honors you for Jesus' sake. May we be ambassadors for Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together.